Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. of the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for people who are involved in youth ministry. And uh, I, my name is Rachel Gardner. I'm here with my friend Martin Saunders. And we're going to inflict on you a new little fun segment called the Dog Updates. Oh, yes. You might love dogs. You might hate dogs. But between Martin and I, we have, I think it's about 37 dogs. No, we have three, don't yeah. we? So I, I've got one and your family have got two. Yeah. And uh, the whole time that I've been recording uh, today with Martin, because we do a couple in one go, don't tell anybody. I've, my little puppy's been l- lying here next to me oh. and giving me the puppy eye face. Oh. So has attempted to maul an entire cushion and is now just looking at me with the big eyes of just like, take me outside. You don't want me to wee or poo inside. So make a way for me to wee or poo outside. That's what his eyes are saying. What's your puppy update, Martin? My, by the way, this section of the podcast is the reason why you've got that skip forward 30 seconds <laughs> button. Stay and listen. Look, look listen. You see oh, here? Wow, you your heard, puppy actually did that. that on demand. Yeah, heard your voice being disparaging. And about it's now about come to say, the Escape podcast dog update. Leo, Leo, shh, Leo, shh. Don't want your voice. You, could, I'm gonna have to you couldn't this have planned out. this better. Do you need to I let the dog have, You let the dog out for a week. Okay. And I'll tell my dog's dog story. Out. Right, I'm back. I'm back from yes. you, Juicy. Martin, give us your update. Do you want the Twizzle update? So Twizzle, oh, my ridiculously it? small cockapoo, um, has, uh, I would say, just entered a different stage of her development. Being loved. Being can loved. I say, well, um, can I, it's just she's doing something gross. Can I, am I allowed to say the word hump on the podcast? Definitely. Okay, Definitely great. hump. We're all for okay, that word. Okay, fine. Well, you would, you would be, given your career. Uh, if, if people don't know your career, that now sounds yeah, very fine. weird. Uh, let's leave they it. They can in. find out. Um, so, uh, yeah, so she's got this pillow thing uh, that she's oh, become very man. attracted to. And she just likes to sort of, but at, because she's That's so tiny, point. because she weighs little, she, she as she... As she as she gyrates on the on the cushion, it hops along the floor like a little horse. So she sort of bounces around the wooden floor. Having a wonderful time. I I think so. Just just discovering herself. Oh God, I've gone too what, far. What 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 happens to the cushion the rest of the time? I think that cushion needs to the cushion, find its way to the bin. Yeah, I might need to get rid of the cushion. <laughs> that cushion needs to go. I just tell you, remove. What's remove hilarious? Yes. I was just uh, as you were letting the dog out, talking to producer Dave, uh, who uh, who said he's been trying very hard to get us to introduce new segments to the podcast, and he gave us a whole list of new segments to the podcast, which we failed to introduce. Failed. But we've introduced dog update, which is which was oh. not on the list. Was it not on the list? I'm gonna. There is. I can't find a list, Dave. Dave, there is no list. There is. In, in the absence of a list, the people perish. So we have to make a new list. Is it, is it worth just mentioning at least one thing on Dave's yes, list? Yes, okay. All the right. one we've already mentioned, which is that we are looking to hear about your unsung heroes. And so each week... And they're coming the, in. They're they really are exciting. They're lovely. fast, but we need more. So basically <laughs> we, we want one-minute recordings 
of you talking about the youth leader who made a big impact on your life. Uh, and we're going to play them out each week on the podcast. Uh, just Very email exciting. us a, uh, a voice note at yes. podcast at youthscape.co.uk. As discussed, anything at youthscape.co.uk gets to us. You can, you can go for twizzle at youthscape.co.uk if you like, and it'll get there. Brilliant. Okay. Well, we are third episode into this fabulous new season where we sort of cover big, big topics, lots of ground. And, and last week, if you tuned into our last episode, we were talking a bit quite openly and personally, Martin, about our own sort of experiences of the dark night of the soul or those moments where you're just like, what, what is this madness? What am I doing? And I guess probably those of us in ministry, we're probably more prone to them. Than not because we're having to kind of serve people out of that place, serve young people out of a place of faith, of belief, of hope. Um, but I guess we want to sort of move on a little bit further this week because we, we it's important that we wrestle, that we stand in our own struggles and we get support and help ourselves. But then there's a space in discipleship of, our, of articulating with young people either a framework for understanding suffering or building a doctrine, a theology of where is God when things are tough. And oh, my goodness, you know, I can't imagine any youth worker in any age not having to do that. But particularly youth ministers in such an age as this, we need to be equipping young people to think God, to think theologically which sounds so scary, doesn't it? But think differently about the things they face in life. Uh, So Martin, tell us a little bit about your interview today. Yeah, so uh, I'm meeting uh, Ruth Jackson, who uh, for many years was editor of uh, Premier's Youth Work and Children's Work magazines, uh, and then more recently has worked on a series of podcasts for them, uh, some excellent podcasts, and works really um, in the area of apologetics. Um, and I've really asked the question, you know, what, what does it look like to tackle this mega question with young people? Um, so this is, this is her response. This is what happened when Ruth Jackson answered our questions about suffering. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. You are very welcome. It's nice to be here. I feel like you've been on this before. I should I should know this, but have you been on the Youthscape podcast before? Well, I don't actually know. I was trying to rack my brains. Uh, again, I should know if I've been on it. Maybe once, like right at the beginning. I think you were in the early days. Yeah. Super fans, basically Rachel Gardner, <laughs> will we'll, uh, we'll be able to let us know. Yeah. It's great to have you on anyway, um, either again or today. <laughs> and for those who don't know you, um, you were formerly editor of Premier's Youth and Children's Work magazine. You're, you're still with Premier Media Group. But what do you mm-hmm. do now? So I've moved more into apologetics. I was always kind of doing that a little bit with the magazine anyway, um, but I'm part of the Premier Unbelievable team. So I work on a show called Unbelievable, which is a debate format between a Christian and an atheist, or sometimes two Christians, sometimes two atheists. It's, it's it's, it's a nice debate show. They're not like fighty fighty. Well, it's, hang on know. a minute. I did an episode of it Unbelievable <laughs> and it wasn't fighty? that nice. Oh, right. Okay. Sometimes they're fighty. It depends on the guest, Martin. That's the thing. <laughs> to be fair, it was because we were both Christians, uh, I think. They really yeah, let us to go be, for it. Yeah, to be fair, they get they get more fighty. Generally, the atheists and Christians are a little bit nicer. So I work on that show, um, but I also present and produce two other podcasts. One called Unapologetic, which is where we kind of talk about apologetics, theology, uh, evangelism, that kind of thing. But it's more a straight interview format, less fighty. And then uh, the C.S. Lewis podcast with Alistair McGrath. So that is what it does 
what it says on the tin, we talk about C.S. Lewis with Professor Alistair McGrath, who is one of the world's leading experts and a total mega brain. And I have a full on theological crush on. So there you go. That's... <laughs> Let's just unpick that for a second. What's a theological crush? I want his brain. I want his brain. <laughs> who doesn't? You sound yep. a little... A little bit like a psycho. Creepy. I'll let it, I'll let it pass. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I'll say. I've listened to quite a few episodes of Justin's Unbelievable Podcast. Mm. I would say it's some of the best Christian media out there. It's a great team. It's definitely worth yeah, checking yeah. out. Do check that Justin out. Justin is amazing. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. We are going to talk about apologetics a little bit later mm-hmm. on. But before we do that, you've been connected uh, to in, in youth ministry for a long time. And before you went to work on the magazine, you'd actually been doing youth work in a local church context for quite a while. I think in a really interesting way, um, a way that deserves talking about. And so, so just tell us a little bit about the small group that you journeyed with. Yeah, so when I was, um, I'm trying to think, it was just straight after uni, actually, I took a group of young people. Um, so they started at 11 and I basically stayed with them um, until they finished school and sort of graduated out of the youth group till they were 18, which was a huge, huge privilege and just incredible. And um, I obviously got to see them kind of, you know, flourish. And obviously there are some sad stories of young people falling away as, as there are in every youth group. Um, but the majority of them are now doing really, really significant things in the kingdom of God. And actually I'm on a, um, like a board of trustees with one of them now, which is such a beautiful kind of 360 thing, but yeah, just incredible privilege to journey with these girls for, I can't do the maths, but however long you're at secondary school for seven years, is it? Seven yeah. years. And, yeah, seven and years. So as just, I remember that got quite complicated towards the end, didn't it? Because you'd moved house, I think you you um, it was more of an investment to keep doing that, but you you were really committed to it. Gosh, you have got such a good memory. Exactly right. I was like, did I? Um, yeah, I got married, um, or was about to get married, I think, in the last year. So was like very involved in another church, my husband's church, which was going to become my church. And um, so I was quite involved in like worship and preaching and stuff in that church. But yeah, felt <clears throat> as you say really strongly that I wanted to you know, I wanted to see them through the journey. So, um, so yes, so I just made sure that I carried on because it was really important. And, um, I mean, it's not that much of a sacrifice compared to what a lot of incredible youth workers do. And I, you know, I've just the utmost respect for youth workers and children's work. I think they are doing such incredible kingdom work. Um, you know, the amount of people that sort of like, have come to faith as as young people and um or lose their faith as young people like it's such an like such a significant time and i have yeah it's just so important and there are so many youth workers out there who feel like they're by themselves and i just want to say you're not by yourself you're doing an amazing job there's so many people praying for you and standing with you and you're not the only person who's been through this awful thing and yeah just so much respect for youth workers you're all amazing very good very good warm up the listener <laughs> I'm so totally genuine one more thing on that when you think about that time with that group of uh it was all girls wasn't it it was all girls yeah I mean it was part of a bigger youth group obviously but my little small group was girls yeah so what what do you think was the primary thing what do you think was the most important thing you were investing into those girls that potentially had the impact later on that means they're they're still plugged in you know that you're on the trustee board with one of them you must have done something right what was the key even if it was a very simple thing, what do you think is the key? 
I mean, I think I think the first thing is God for sure, because you know, like I definitely failed in so many respects. And I think one thing I was really passionate about, and still am really passionate about, is Bible. I really just um, helped them to fall in love with the Bible, like I did as a teenager. Um, so really helped them to fall in love with the Bible, and just I think for me. Like I think for so many young people, if like the experiential side isn't there, then they'll fall away because because it was in some ways like sort of surface level. So actually, if there's like the deeper biblical stuff that doesn't change, then there is something to fall back on in those hard times and all of that. So I think that was maybe one aspect. I think also, um, and this is something I'm definitely still learning now and now as a mum has become like a really big thing to me. In some ways, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter obviously Bible studies matter, of course they do, but but it's about modelling it and being there in like the highs and the lows and being in their lives. So like going into their school to meet them for coffee or, um, well, maybe not into their schools, but you know, like meet them outside of coffee. I went into a couple of their schools to sort of, you know, do some stuff with their CUs or going to watch like sports matches, things like that. Just being part of their life and them knowing that whether they're going through rubbish times or great times or periods of doubt that actually that's okay you're with them in it you're standing with them next to it even though they're like ranting at god and you know you're you're doing it together i think just being a part of yeah like modeling it with them and being there for them that's great you you talk about falling in love with the bible as a teenager <laughs> why how, how did that that seems <laughs> unlikely how, how did that happen and what what did you do as a young person that enabled you to make it your own and embrace that personal relationship with the Bible? I think it's interesting. I grew up, my dad was a vicar, my mum was a um, RE teacher. So I guess I kind of, in inverted commas, like knew everything, um, you know, not knew everything. Like, you know, I had all the kind of the, the answers that I what am I trying to say? I guess I... Um, like the pat answers? Yes, 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 very much so. And um, and I guess like when when I went to secondary school, it kind of, it had to become my own. And I think I hadn't really acknowledged that before. And um, I went to Soul Survivor, classic every youth worker's story. I was, you know, I didn't become a Christian at Soul Survivor. I was, I was very much a Christian. Um, but I think my faith for sure became my own at Soul Survivor. I mean, the first thing I remember is just being totally freaked out by all the Holy Spirit stuff. I was like, what the heck is this occult on earth? Going on? But Mike Pilavachi, absolute legend, was so incredible at sort of explaining everything. But basically I went to... Um, a seminar with Chris Lane, who is a pastor in Manchester um, at Salford. And he did a seminar. I think I was 13. He did a seminar. Uh, like the it was kind of, it was the Bible in an hour. That's what it was. And he had a washing line of like Genesis to Revelation. And he just kind of summarized each book of the Bible and like told the whole sort of grand narrative of the story. And I guess I knew, you know, I knew all the classic Jeremiah, whatever, like you're the plans prosper. I knew all the kind of twee Bible, not twee, they're amazing. I knew all of the like Bible verses that you the should know. Magnet Bible verses. Exactly. Um, but I guess, you know, like the genocide passages in the Old Testament, all of that, like I'd never <laughs> touched any of those. And basically he just laid it all out for me in a way that, not just for me, <laughs> for everyone in there, that just made it come alive and made it all make sense. And I think that kind of the grand narrative of it just made it really powerful. Um, and I think also just understanding, like for me, Luke 15, the prodigal, the pro of the, of the 
the story of the prodigal son for me is like a microcosm through which we need to read the whole bible that like the god who runs for us and like meets us in our brokenness and and takes us in and just shows the, the most incredible grace like actually if if the bible stories don't fit within that context obviously there's some really difficult stuff um but actually if that's not like the overarching message of the of what you're reading in the bible you're you're probably not reading it in quite the right way because that is the story so i guess it was just this kind of total mind shift of everything being disjointed and broken and not really making sense to then having this overarching picture and i think when i went to study theology um at uni i made myself read the bible over and over and over again and i thought i was doing it for like for my studies because i was at oxford and everyone was super smart and i you know i was like catching up but actually it, yeah i'm sure it did help with my studies but really it was like i it just cemented my love for the bible and it was so much more for my personal studies than it was for um anything i could do in in a kind of academic sense however it, it did there was definitely a crossover like god is so kind so sorry i will stop talking in a second i've definitely got verbal diarrhea um there was an amazing moment where I was, um, I had a Greek exam and um, I knew there was like loads of work I needed to do and everyone was properly geeking out around me. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to sack it in, like sack off the studying and, and go to church. I had, I had done a little bit of work, but I was like, I'm just going to go to church and like give it to God and pray and, and worship. And um, Simon Ponsby, who's an amazing um, pastor in Oxford, did this incredible sort of exegetical um, sermon on, on a passage. And uh I, and I was, you know, I went to bed really glad that I'd done that. The next day I had my Greek exam and, and the first thing you had to do was kind of um, translate a passage and like pull out bits of it. And it was exactly the passage that Simon Ponsonby had talked about the day before. Um, what? So it's just like flipping it, God. You are so kind. That is just incredible. And obviously a lot of it I couldn't use, but there were just, it, it was just such a kindness and uh, totally cheating. Christians doing theology is totally cheating. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's like a mega version of the parking space thing, isn't it? Yes. That is, yeah. that is the extreme yeah. mode of the parking space. Wow. Yeah. So, so you love the Bible and that's obviously been a massive influence on what you've chosen to do as we've talked about in your personal life, but also in your professional life. And so, you find yourself thinking a lot about apologetics. And I, I wonder if today we could have a little chat about apologetics and young people, which I, th I think it's a really interesting concept because mm -hmm. I, I think there is this idea out there that apologetics is this kind of Josh McDowell 1990s idea, you know, that was really important in youth ministry back when kids literally did respond to an advert to come to the CU to talk about like who made God. But, but maybe less relevant today when young people just, might not have those big questions hmm. so so before we just dive into like the inevitable big one can we just talk about the field and how relevant it really is to young people right now yeah oh, i think it's really interesting i think you know perhaps some of it is outdated in terms of the questions that are being asked and i guess traditional in inverted commas apologetics may not seem as relevant now um but i do think young people do have those big questions i think they're just buried deep a lot of the time under lots of hurt and um i guess there's that question of like i guess one of the questions sort of traditionally speaking is is god relevant whereas we need to sort of step further back now I think and they're not even thinking about God do you know what I mean it's like not even on the radar so I guess they're articulating the question is God relevant but without even asking it because they're just assuming he's not relevant or doesn't exist and therefore um, it's just not in their psyche so like for me I think young people I'm sure this was always the case but young people today 
if it doesn't affect, I, I can't remember who used the phrase imminent frame, but I think that's a really helpful thing. Like if it's not directly around them, then perhaps they're not thinking about it. And actually it's about sort of breaking through their defences to show them that God is relevant. That sounds really aggressive and I don't mean that at all. And I think we've got to earn the respect and earn the right to speak to our young people before we can start talking about those things. But I think one of the ways that we can do that is um, is by asking questions. And I think asking questions is such a great way of helping to break down those defences and show people that they are thinking about these things. Um, but it, again, it, it comes down again to just kind of walking alongside young people through all these things. And those those questions will come up. They won't be potentially framed as, you know, does science disprove God? Does all of these... I mean, but again, I think they probably assume that science has disproved God. We're like almost a few steps back from that. I remember... I was, um, I did like a mission trip with, um, some young people, lots of whom weren't Christians. And one of them had some, um, homework on baptism, I think it was. And he was like, oh, you, you know, you've got a theology degree. Can you come and help me with that? And just, we were chatting about stuff and there were so many things where he was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, I didn't, I, I thought, Jesus was the name of a computer game. Do you know, it's just that thing where like you just, he'd never heard of baptism. He didn't know that that was a Christian concept. He, it's just, yeah, we're, we're like, we need to backtrack. And um, for me, the big thing, I think apologetics is often being these super intelligent white middle-class men, often. Um, I love white middle-class men, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but it's been dominated by these white middle-class men in their ivory towers in these kind of academic institutions. Um and it just becomes a kind of battle of the minds. And, and for me, apologetics is not about that. It's about removing those head barriers so that then the heart comes in. And so for me, it's it's not about showing how big your brain is. It's about showing people how much Jesus loves them. But you often can't do that until you've begun to sort of remove these barriers that they don't even know they have often. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I think. Um, as you say, the questions might not be framed in the Josh McDowell phraseology exactly, but still some of those primary questions come and, and often they come at times of pain and yeah. trauma and often there's something awful that's happened in a young person's life and, or the life of someone close to them. And so I would say, and I don't think this is a controversial opinion, the number one apologetics question probably in adults, but certainly in young people will be, you know, if there's a loving God... Yeah. Why does he allow this bad thing to happen? Why does he allow people to suffer? Why does he give you a parking space? Why does he give you the thing that comes up in the exam? Yeah. But here's the child dying of some awful disease over here. Yeah. You know, that's the key question that comes out of the human experience, isn't it? So I guess the question is, how do we even begin to approach? I'm not even asking you what, what the answer is. Yeah. Because I assume it's not a quick 10 second one. How do we even begin to approach answering that question when it presents itself to a young person? I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think there's, like, depending on what young person you're speaking to, I think there's almost two questions. I think when you're chatting to non-Christian young people, it's it's kind of a question of existence. Like, does God even exist if these awful things happen? Whereas I think when you're chatting to Christian young people within your youth group, it's more a question of the goodness of God. Like, can I trust him? I think the two are definitely tied up because I think the existence thing is about like if if he's not worth trusting then then does he even exist or like should should I believe in him but um <clears throat> I think again it's about like modeling doing life doing life with them and and showing them 
that you, you have also struggled with this question. I assume most people listening don't have all the neat answers. And that there are definitely things that we can say about suffering for sure. Um, but but for me, it, it's about holding it all lightly and, and being willing to say, I don't know. And the amount of times I've been in situations like that where I've said, I don't know. And I've sat with people in their brokenness and just like wept with them and said, this is rubbish. It just is rubbish. And I'm going to pray for you if, if that's what you want. And I'm going to, and I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to, you know, if, the, if there's something we can do to help fix it together, we'll do that. But ultimately I don't know. And I, I think for me, um, the big thing about Christianity compared to all of the other alternatives. And I, and I think it's really important that we can kind of show young people what the other alternatives are, because I think that makes clearer the picture of Christianity. It's not that if, um, if Christianity doesn't have the answer, then, then there is no, you know, it's suffering doesn't go away. Um, so I think it's really important that we kind of talk. So for me, depending on the setting, if I'm talking to young people about suffering, I will often ask them like, what are the other alternatives? You know, if it's not the Christian picture, like, what does atheism say to the problem of suffering? What does other, you know, Eastern religions say to the problem of suffering? All of that. And I think, um, and then when you talk about Christianity, in some ways it kind of makes it, that makes the picture a little bit clearer. But for me, <clears throat> looking at kind of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is such a key, key part of it. Um, and I think f for me, like if, if my little girl falls over, I don't, I don't like tell her that, you know why she's fallen over I don't tell her that what's falling down her knee is blood and sort of sit and explain it all to her I scoop her up and I hold her really close and I am with her in the pain and I think that's what we need to do with our young people we need to be with them in their pain and we need to show them a God who also did that who in in the in the incarnation came into the mess didn't stay distant from the world but came actively came into the mess of the world and sat with us in our pain and redeemed the pain and sort of gave us that future hope so so for me it's about kind of showing them the incarnation um and and showing them that there is there that there's hope that actually god is good that even if it doesn't seem like he's good you know that the kind of the moral monster that some people like Stephen Fry have painted where um you know God allows suffering how could I possibly believe in that God who who lets all these awful things happen and blah 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 like that's also not the God that I believe in I believe in a God who came into this world at a huge huge cost like the ultimate cost of his life and um and came to be with us in the pain so for me that you know the John, the John one eighteen, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, moved into the neighborhood, it says in the message. That for me is such a key verse. Um, you know, you don't need to say the Bible to the young people when you're doing that, because I think that could be a barrier. But, you know, you can kind of talk about biblical concepts without saying that it's from the Bible. So I think for me, it's just about modeling the incarnation pointing them to the the god who suffers that so again it, it's bible but you wouldn't need to do this but john eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the bible jesus wept but he didn't just weep the greek word for that is um it was so in john eleven thirty five, it is it does say jesus wept but in john eleven thirty three and 38 there's a greek word that is often really badly translated in english and it, it the actual greek word means to snort like an angry horse it's like properly raging like so angry so broken and actually that's Jesus's response is just absolute brokenness absolute anger at the situation and if that was Jesus's response when his best friend Lazarus died then that should be our response and and 
like for me, I could only believe in a God who has been there, who has actually experienced it. So I think for me, it's about, you know, showing, talking them through the other alternatives. Like what is the alternative if it's not Christianity? Um, and, but like doing it with them, not saying go and read this or go and do, but, you know, talking them through some of those things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just about modeling it and showing them that you're with them and God is with them in it, even, even though it's really broken. And well, sorry, one last thing. Um, we did an amazing, um, unbelievable show with Tim Keller recently and he was obviously incredible on this topic he's going through stage four pancreatic cancer which you can't recover from and one of the things he talked about was um his old testament lecturer Dr Meredith Klein I think his name was um talked about the book of Job and said the difference between Job and his friends is that all of his like screaming at God and raging at God and, and all of that he was doing it in front of God he wasn't doing it sort of behind closed doors. And I think in a Christian context, when we're talking to young people, that's such a key thing is that we encourage them to do it all out in the open. Like nothing is off the table. You know, look at the Psalms, the language in that is like some of that, some of that language is horrific. You know, I want to dash your children's heads against the rock and things like that. That's how people feel. And I think it's really important that we're honest with, with how we feel. Um, and our young people are honest with how they feel and we let our young people be honest about how they feel and and let them know that actually god's hands are big enough to hold it all i think that's a fantastic framework for talking to young people about the issue but since we have you and you you've done a lot in this area and digested lots of other intelligent people's thoughts um you know let's go a bit further if i was to sit at dinner with you and ask you the question you know what's your best answer to the question of why loving God allows suffering in the world, to, to the grown-ups, to those of us who aren't worried about using as much scripture as you want. Um, we're not worried about, you know, you can use complex philosophical arguments. Where would you go? So I think, I think for me, it comes back to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. I think it is really important that you kind of look at the other alternatives. But when you look at the life of Jesus, there's, there's the grieving part, the, um, you know, the crying, the weeping, the raging, the emotion that, but, but there's also the fact that we have not been left alone, that he doesn't stay distant. He comes into the pain and he sits with us and he weeps and he rages that it's not right. And then when you look at the death, um, like it might not give us a really neat answer, but it does show us the extent of God's love. It reveals something of his character. The fact that actually in Jesus, he laid aside his life and he took on our mess and he, you know, experienced the worst pain and separation and everything that you could ever experience. But then I think all of that kind of, that shows us that God understands. It shows us that he's with us, but without the resurrection, you're kind of left without hope. And I think hope is such an important part of this message of suffering because the Bible tells us that we don't grieve as those without hope. We we grieve as those who do have hope because we know that actually death, all of that isn't the end of the story. Our suffering isn't forever. Um, and so like just a, just a really quick thing on that. Uh, I had a miscarriage before my baby and um, we called her Eden because uh, as in the baby that I have now, we called it Eden because I just think that is, that sort of goes back to the beginning of the story where life was meant to be perfect. It was meant to be um, just the way God intended it to be without any pain, without any suffering. And then we as kind of humanity messed it up. That had a knock on effect, not just for humanity, but for like the whole of the created order. And 
And so we called it Eden to sort of flash back to that because it also talks about like a new Eden in Revelation 21, where it says that, you know, there's going to be no more pain and suffering. All these things will be gone forever. Um, and the reason we called her Eden is is like to to remember that actually a loss isn't the end of the story, that there's hope, there's there's restoration. And so I think for me, one of the key passages in all of this is Lamentations 3, where it's literally like one of the most miserable books of the Bible. I mean, the key is in the title, Lamentations. And and the author, who's potentially Jeremiah, but who knows, is sort of listing all these awful things that have happened to him. And then um, I think it's verse 21. It says, yet I dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His compassions never fail. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. So I think... For me, it's it's about that thing of um, because of the resurrection, if the resurrection happened, which that's a whole other thing. But if the resurrection happened, then death isn't the end of the story. We're not suffering forever. This isn't like the end of the Christian story. There is hope. And sometimes it feels really hard to remember that in the midst of it. But I think it's it's twofold. It's one that we have a God who comes into the mess with us and weeps with us and rages with us and, and shows us that it's not going to be like this forever. And and the other part is that it's not going to be forever. He's got this. And um, although we don't understand it now and, and, and I don't know that we ever will, and I think it's really important that we say we don't understand and, and we potentially never will. But sometimes actually understanding isn't what we need. Sometimes sometimes like a massive hug and, and compassion. And it's really hard when God feels distant. Um, but sometimes, and I don't know if this is your experience, Martin, but sometimes like in my, and this isn't a justification for young people at all, and I would never use this, but sometimes in the midst of like my worst, worst moments, I have felt God the closest. That's not in any way to justify what's happened in any way. I don't think it does. But I think there's, again, I, I think it's... um. Uh, I think it's Genesis 50, uh, Genesis 50 where um, jo- Joseph is with his brothers and he says what man intended for harm, God is using for good, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I think sometimes you do see that. You do see that God uses incredible harm for good. That's not to say that it's just fine. It's not to say that he propagated it in the first place. But there are moments when even in the midst of deep, deep brokenness, God can use it and powerful things can happen. And I think particularly in vulnerable moments, God can shine through. So the final thing I'll say, and I think this is something you could you could do with your young people. Actually, you come across kintsugi. I'm sure you have the yeah. So the the Japanese pottery where if things break, I, like, I break things all the time. I'm so clumsy, and my tendency is either to kind of chuck it away or or fix it with super glue, and it's just messy and um and broken. And what they do in Japan is they mix the glue with gold so that when the when the pot comes together, there are cra- there's beautiful gold in the cracks, and and there's that sense with which actually beauty can come out of the brokenness, and that is a really biblical concept that that God can use really really broken things and make it beautiful, and I think that is what our lives are, and I think that is what we can show our young people, um, and the amount of people who've spoken to me and said, you know, so there were like. Yeah, that who've said, I don't know how you still believe in the midst of some of the things that you've been through. And in some ways, actually, our lives are unapologetic. I think that's a really key thing going back to kind of is apologetics relevant. I think if our lives are apologetics um, and, and we display the brokenness in the midst of, sorry, display the beauty in the midst of the brokenness or kind of let ourselves display God's beauty in the midst of our brokenness, then that is really, really powerful. Just finally, um, 
this all makes me wonder it, it, whether we're actually doing our young people a disservice um, when we make all our worship services, our youth groups, our experience of church, our festivals, you know, all of this stuff may be just a bit too positive and shiny. I wonder whether, you know, I grew up on songs like Jesus, We Celebrate Your Victory, which <laughs> which had that line in it. It was an absolute banger. But it had that line, which I remember my youth leader would never sing. He would change the wording because the original sing said, you know, in in your presence, all my problems disappear. Yeah. And of course they won't. Like they don't. He would never yeah. sing that. He'd, um, so youth leader would always change the words to something else. And I, and I realized we're not singing that song anymore. But even I grew up in a time where it was unremittingly positive you know it was a time when um let's get the best production values let's encourage young people by making worship as jazzy and smooth and cold playish as possible because young Mm. people as you know love cold play (laughs) um but you know if i wonder if there's enough i I can't think of many worship songs that really embrace the shouting at the sky and saying god this is awful i want to beat up my enemies yeah maybe we need more of that maybe it would help yeah, and I think it needs to be modelled in every respect. Like, I think songs are one thing, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you look at the Psalms, they're way more negative on the whole. The Psalms of Lament are much more than the songs of Lament that we get. And there are some, and there are some brilliant ones. Um, but it's also got to be modelled in every other aspect. You know, the people on the stage, I'm not saying air all your dirty laundry and like tell everyone when you're doubting, but actually just even a little bit of that to say, I don't have all the answers and I'm sharing some of the things I've thought through, but I don't know, or, you know, I'm struggling with this at the moment, or um, I think for me, you always hear these victory stories of here was my mess and brokenness and all of that, but now I've come through and, and this is how God's redeemed it and all of that. What, all the testimonies. What, all yeah, the testimonies what, we ever get. What you don't hear is I am in the midst of this brokenness and I am battling with this and I am trying to reconcile how God could be good and this has happened and this is what I'm going through now and I know he's good and this is how I know he's good so I think I think we need vulnerability across all spheres and of course there's a balance and of of course we need to you know do that carefully and we do need to model a certain amount of um, faith and all of that but we also really need to model honesty and I think it's really important that we do that and I think for our young people more than anyone can see through our filters and see through our happy shiny faces they they know what truth is you know they're they're an Instagram generation where they like this is the one chance we get to rip off those filters and and have a non-shiny happy face and uh, you know I'm not saying we need to cry in front of our young people all the time whatever but I just think a glimpse of honesty and vulnerability and let's just be like the psalms you know there's incredible psalms of worship and joy and jubilation and jesus we celebrate your victory but there are also times of immense sadness and there's not always a yet i dare to hope at the end of those psalms sometimes it's just left in the brokenness and the hanging um but i think yeah if we're if we're being true to the whole story of the bible it is there's so much brokenness in the Bible and there's a reason it's in there. There's a reason that those passages of suffering and, and deep destruction are in there because it's part of human life. Thank you so much, Ruth, for taking the time to unpack some of this stuff. It is hard. I know it's it's hard stuff. Um, and thank you for sharing some of your own story as well. Um, I think this will really help people.
interview Martin, did you also ask her when we can have a youth work magazine back? Because I, I don't know about you, I'm so <gasps> old school. I know that there's, you know, we're all moving to a paper-free life, which is very, very yeah. good. But I really, I liked having like, a, I like my monthly mags. Can I put that out there? I Do have you know, a number that I like to get and I love them. I don't think, given how long we've been doing this podcast, I don't think we've ever had this conversation. We've sneaked in an extra tough question for have, youth ministry, which is what happened to Youth Work magazine? Um, because it covered lots of this stuff it also gave the little bit of youth work gossip that wasn't gossip that was very affirming of people but it kind of it kind of allowed us to kind of understand a bit about the UK youth ministry scene in a way that I mean National Youth Ministry Weekend obviously is in that space youth workers are more across denominations but but where else do you get that sense of what's happening in the whole country I don't know I feel it's time to no you're right because the youth workers have slightly deserted Twitter now if we're honest as well Especially now Elon's got, got hold of it. But, but you know, me there is, Elon left. <laughs> we, should, we should say uh, there is still an online kind of, but there's a sort of website, uh, Premier Next Gen, which yes, still, there is, you're right, yeah. still covers some of this stuff. But we're definitely a long way from uh, the days yeah. of the paper magazine. Now, remember, I, I edited this magazine for the best part of 10 years. So I have something of an investment in this conversation. But um, I, used to, I used to love the community that was created across the nation by having this paper magazine sent out 12 times a year. Now, I just think the economics don't work anymore. But I wonder I wonder whether it would be possible. Would it be possible yeah. to create something that fills that space? I, I don't know. I've got it. I know what it is. Go I know on. what it is. It well, is. It is. Us. It's called The Guilty Youth Worker. That's what the magazine is called. The Guilty Youth Worker. Because I guarantee that when anyone picked up the Youth Work Mag, or whatever it was later called, Premier Youth Work Mag, the first place we all went was the classifiers at the back <laughs> to see what the jobs are. Honestly, everyone was like, oh, what are youth workers being yeah. paid nowadays? Because there's no like set level. So I would call it the guilty youth worker and it would have all this kind of stuff in there. And, it'd be, and I also like getting something called the week and that's a weekly thing. Do you? But you get like the best, the kind of the best commentators and sort of snippets of articles from newspapers or uh, you know stuff all around the world and I would love like once a month to have something that gave me like real insight into what's happening in parts of Kenya and a bit of youth ministry in Norway and the Ukraine I mean it's a massive job but I, I think I just really feel that we need to yeah so I think Martin if you go by next episode and just knock something up that that keeps me happy but I, yeah. I think a youth work magazine is um it's time to bring it back it is expensive though is, anyone can is it time it. to bring back dog updates? Is that what Leo was? Bring back dog. I mean, he's come suggesting. back in the room. Don't mention dog because that's what made him bark. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, he, no, that's right. No, it's fine. He's 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 busy chewing my daughter's like fidget spinners right now. That I'm sounds not fine. Get involved. I'm not yeah. going to get involved. I, I think it'd be quiet. fair to say that will be a ad hoc element. It will not be appearing every week on no, the Escape Podcast. You don't have to worry about too many more of those. <laughs> D-O-G updates. Brilliant. So just one last question I wanted to ask you. See, yeah. we're asking difficult questions. I love what Ruth Jackson says. It's And I love her mind and love her brain. It's brilliant. I have to say there's part of my brain that goes, oh gosh, I can't remember the last time a young person asked me a big trilogue question or asked me any question like that. Like I would love them to be asking me this stuff. Yeah. But it's really tough to, to generate curiosity, to kind of have those spaces that really stirs that stuff up so i think that's that is also the that's the other challenge that goes hand in hand with this isn't it is like mm. 
on one level, we don't want young people asking the really tough questions. And because it, it's because it's tough, it's hard because you've got a room of 10 young people and you know they're going to have different views on it. But on the other hand, it's really tough when they don't. And you feel like you're constantly almost having to like force them into asking stuff. And that's a tricky yeah. balance for us. Yeah. And we and we talked about that a little bit, obviously, yeah, just now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, there's probably more to say. Youscape uh, did a piece of research a few years ago called No Questions Asked. I think you can download the summary version of that for free at youthscape.co.uk forward slash research. Um, and that found really that young people do have those questions, but they need excavating. Yes. And so the question is, what context can we create that excavate those uh, tough questions that they might have about like what, who is God and what kind of God and how does that all work anyway, yeah. without that necessarily having to emerge from trauma and suffering. And because that's the, obviously as we talked about, that is the, the natural context where those things arise. Mm. So I, we do need to find some innovative ways to help young people dig deep and find and uncover the questions that they do have but they're not necessarily able to articulate. So remember, lovely listeners, we are a community. We're a tribe. We do this together. And if you rate and review the podcast, it helps other youth workers like you, like me, find this podcast. Yeah, let us know if uh, you've enjoyed the podcast. Let us know if you want to keep Dog Update as a regular uh, segment or if you were very offended by our use of the word hump. Uh, also, send us... <laughs> your voice notes about a uh, a youth worker, youth leader, a special unsung hero uh, who had a massive impact to you uh, in your life. It's a podcast at youthscape.co.uk. Uh, to play us out, we're going to hear another one of them now. Hello, my name is Martha and my unsung youth work hero is a woman called Becky. Um, she brought me to Jesus when I was a teenager. Uh, she gave me my first opportunity to speak preach at church when I was 16 and she uh, helped me step into leadership as uh, first of all as a young leader at the camp she ran and then as I grew up and, and became a youth leader myself at many other opportunities she has always championed me she's always been a wise person that I can go to when I have questions to ask and she's always been somebody that has modeled how to do youth work well to me um, and I thank God every day for Becky. I suppose one of the unsung heroes might have been a dog, mightn't it? So yeah, could, uh, unsung dog heroes. Thing.